to Calvary Chapel of Columbia, where we're unpacking God's truths one verse at a time. And now here's Pastor Tim with today's message. Chapter 5. Anybody need a Bible? Raise your hand. We'll, we'll get one in your lap this morning. Ephesians chapter 5, and when you find yourself there, stand with me, and we're going to read our portion of Scripture this morning. Ephesians chapter 5. I've been camping on this for two weeks, and it's uh, only a few verses, but man, is it impactful. It's very, very good. Ephesians chapter 5, we're going to begin at verse 15. Hear the word of the Lord. Look carefully, then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish. But understand what the will of the Lord is. Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Father, we thank you for your word this morning, and we are so grateful to be able to come into this place, to worship freely, Lord, to be able to open up your word on our laps, Lord, to be able to hear from your, uh, your word to us this morning. We ask you, God, to just quiet the distractions of our heart this morning, that we would be able to just be transformed, be changed, be challenged by you this morning. Lord, we ask you, come by your spirit, Lord, Speak into our hearts. Minister to us. Lord, transform us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. How many of you guys feel like you have a good memory? Anybody in here? <laughs> Absolutely not. Well, Chris is saying he might. So, well, well, we'll see. We'll see because it, it's, it's been two weeks ago, but... I, I asked you this question, so you've taken this quiz before. Let's see if you actually remember this. What, how did I divide up the book of Ephesians into two parts? There's two W's. What are the verses, chapters 1 through 3 are speaking about the what? Who said that? Rita, the worth of the believer, that's right. And the second uh, four, three verse chapters, I'm sorry, verses, chapters 4 through 6, the walk, who said that first? All right, you guys come, come up here and get a cup. You guys get a free overflowing cup. You guys, we have these. Come on up and grab one of these. Read it. Now you have two. Now Richard can drink out of one too. Yes, they are. So, see, there might be rewards if you listen. It's like a classroom. This is like children's. Well, no, no, no. I'm sorry. I don't mean to offend you. According to Ephesians chapter 1, or chapter 5, verses 1 through 14, which is where we were two weeks ago, we learned about what it means to imitate God, to be an imitator of God. There was, there was an, a command from the Lord that said, be imitators of God. Be imitators. Mimic Him. Be like Him. Listen, if you know Him, you will become like Him. And that is the point, and that's what Paul is trying to get to. There is a walk associated with your relationship with the Lord. You can't say you know the Lord. This is in the Bible. John the Apostle said this. You can't say that you know the Lord and walk in darkness. You can't habitually walk that way. You will, you know, the Lord will reveal to you that perhaps you never knew him. Jesus will say that to some. Depart from me, I never knew you. Why? I was an imitator of God. I, I know you walked in darkness. And you didn't see the light. You didn't see the, the reality of where you were going. But as we came to chapter 5, verses 1 through 14, there were three specific ways that we were called to walk to be imitators of God. Anybody remember what they are? Three specific ways we're called to walk. Walk in love. Purity and what? What? Light. There you go. I got one cup, so... I'm going to give it to LaDonna. But Brian got a shirt last week. I would throw it, but there you go. See? All right. 
Walk in love, walk in purity, walk in light. It's about a walk. It's about a walk with the Lord. If we want to be imitators of God, we need to walk in these ways. We need to walk in love and purity and in light. As we come to our text this morning, Paul exhorts us, commands us to walk in another way, to walk carefully, to walk carefully. That's the title of my message this morning. True or false? If you don't pay attention to where you're walking, you will end up falling. True, true. And just in case you don't think that's true, draw your attention to the screen. I have some evidence for you. There's sound, but... <laughs> there is sound to this. <laughs> Dang it. See, that is the truth. That is the truth, man. If much of what we find ourselves dealing with in life is a result of walking carelessly, walking carelessly. Listen, if you want to avoid pitfalls personally, relationally, spiritually, we have to walk carefully. Hence the reason why the Holy Spirit tells us in these verses today to walk carefully. I find it interesting that this exhortation, this command comes right before Paul begins to talk about every human relationship that we have. Isn't that interesting? Hey, hey, walk carefully, husband, wife. Walk carefully, children, parent. Walk carefully, you know, bond servant, master, or employee, employer. Walk carefully. Why? Because much of what we encounter, much in, much in which we deal with in life, comes as a result of us walking carelessly, walking carelessly in our relationships with people, not focusing, not being attentive upon those relationships. The word walk, if you haven't caught, up, uh, caught it yet, is, literally means in the Bible here to live or behave in a custom, customary manner with focus upon continuity of action. It's what it means to walk. It's an intentional, continual pursuit of living. In other words, it's a lifestyle. For many, this lifestyle is to pursue fame or fortune or many other kinds of things in the world that will never satisfy you. Let me let you in on a little secret. The only pursuit in this life that is, will bring you lasting and true contentment is the pursuit of our Lord. The pursuit of our Lord, it is the only way. He, God is a game changer in your life when you pursue Him. When you chase after Him, He transforms you and He brings you into a place of contentment, into a place of peace. And, and it's not where it's, you're not worried about what you're going through because you know who you've pursued and you know what His capabilities are. You're resting in Him. Now, I've heard, I've heard people say, oh, really? Really, Pastor? I, I mean, I've tried Jesus out. I, I've tried that out. It doesn't seem to work out for me. And the first question I ask him is, well, how much investment do you have in the Lord? What, what, what's the level of commitment that you have to Jesus if you tried him out? I mean, really give me some, some, some insight on how you've tried him out. Well, you know, I, I read the Bible. I... I went to church, and, I, and, and, I, and you can do those things. Do you realize you can do those things and have, it can have zero impact on you? You know why? Because if you're pursuing them in the flesh, and I'm not allowing the Holy Spirit to speak, if you're not willing to obey what it says, then you'll never see the fruit of your actions. 
you have to not only be a hearer of the word, but you have to be a doer of the word. Are, are, you applying your, are you applying the word of God to your life? Oftentimes, people don't even read the Bible. Most of the people that I've talked to don't even, that, that there is no pursuit. There's zero effort. You put zero effort into your relationship with God, you're going to get very little return, I promise you. I promise you, here's the one thing, that God is relentlessly pursuing you, though. And that's the awesome thing is he doesn't say, well, since you're putting nothing into it, I'm not going to put anything into it. No, he pursues you relentlessly and he draws you, but, but he will not force you to come to that place. You want to have a vibrant, exciting, you know, walk with the Lord? Then do what Jeremiah 29, 13 through 14 says. Here's what it says. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord. And... I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and all the places where I have driven you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you into exile. Yes, this is a specific promise to Israel, but we know the Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20, that all the promises of God find their yes in him. That is Jesus. As we rest in Jesus, all the promises we can apply to our lives, we can apply this to our life. Here's what's interesting about this, this passage is that it says if we seek him, it's conditional, right? If you want to see the blessings of God upon your life, there needs to be, there's a condition. You must seek him. If you seek him, you will find him. It's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. You will find him. He is there, and he will uh, uh, reveal himself to you. Not only that, but listen. All of the things that, did you catch what it said, that he drove you into? What do you mean by that? God drives us into desolate places. He drives us into places of despair because it's in those places that we seek him. It's in those places that we press into him. And aren't you thankful that you have a father in heaven that does that? That Jesus doesn't just allow you to go astray and do whatever it is that you want to do. If he did, you would never seek him. You would seek something else. But God puts you in places for a purpose. Now, he doesn't create evil. Don't, don't misunderstand. But God allows the interactions of your life, the, the spiritual realm, all of these things to work. And sometimes he ordains a step into a place where it, it's just you and you find yourself very lonely. Why? Because he wants to reveal himself to you. He knows you better than anybody. He created you. He fashioned and formed you. He put hope in you, and he knows how to draw that out of you. And so he will put you in a place to get you to look up. That's the point. God doesn't find pleasure in your pain, but he finds it's very, very beneficial, is it not? Very beneficial. And so the Lord will bring us to those places, and when he does, it says he will restore you. He will restore your fortunes. He will gather you from those places. He will put you back where he called you to be. Listen, I can tell you that is real and that is true. He's done that in my life. He's done that in your life. Just take a minute and take a spiritual inventory of where you've been and where God has brought you. Is it not amazing what he does? And I'm thankful for the hard times because they help us to look to him, to press into him. So the Bible tells us that if we want to have a vibrant, you know, exciting relationship with God that we have to seek him. But if we do seek him, we will find him. That is what it means to walk in him, to seek him, continual pursuit of him. What does it mean to be careful in that walk? That word literally means strict conformity to a norm of sta or standard involving both detail and completeness to be accurate, strict. It, this carries the idea of looking, examining, investigating something with great care. It also carries the idea of alertness. It's not happenstance, folks. You're not going to become like Jesus if you don't carefully walk, if you don't carefully walk, if you're not strict in conformity, if you're not walking in a manner of self-discipline. Uh, you're never going to be like Jesus. It won't happen. It doesn't just happen in osmosis. There is an action that needs to be taken. He's telling us that. We need to be alert. The, have you ever noticed that the world is a minefield? <laughs> like, everywhere you walk, there's a, 
there's a trap. There's something there to get you to fall. Why? Because there is a spiritual battle going on, which we'll talk about here in a few weeks. And so that being the case, how careful should we walk? I'm not talking about walking carefully in the sense of you're so fearful to make a step that you don't take a step. That's the direct opposite of what calls God is calling you to do. What I'm talking about is when you take that step, it's a step that fits in the lens of Scripture, that it is not against God's will, that it, it, it is something that's going to benefit you. You have to ask yourself these questions. You know, and, and we'll get into this in a second about the will of God, but, but here's the thing. How do I know this job is going to be more beneficial to me? You need to ask yourself, is this a trap? Is this something that's going to take me away from the Lord? Is it going to spend more time having to work? I, you know, you have to consider all of these things. It's great that you're going to get a pay raise, but be careful because the enemy will bless you to draw you away. It's the dangling carrot. You seek the Lord. He has a will for your life. And so we, as we walk with the Lord carefully, we will make the right choices, but we have to be alert about that. We have to be careful in our walk. I don't want to become a, another Christian statistic on the battlefield of life. Amen? If I want to... If I want to um, really do well for the Lord, then I have to walk carefully. And that's what Paul's trying to help us understand here. There are four specific things that I want to share with you from our text this morning. I've outlined it as such. It'll be up here in a second. Um, Verses 15 and 16 tell us walking carefully means paying attention to the time. Verse 17 tells us walking carefully means seeking God's will and not my own. Verse 18 tells us walking carefully means being empowered by the right influence. And finally, verses 19 through 21, walking carefully means submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. And we'll leave that up there for you so you can, so you can get that. We're going to begin today by looking at this idea of paying attention to time. Draw your attention to verse 15 where it says, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise but as wise, making the best use of the time. Because the days are evil. When we come to verses 15 and 16 here in chapter 5, we find the why to the what. The what we've already talked about is to look carefully then how you walk. That's the what. What's the why? The why is because the days are evil. Look carefully at how you walk. Why? Because the days are evil. That's exactly why. Now, we look around and the days are evil, are they not? I mean, we're legislating evil. We're saying, no, no, we've got to let evil happen. And if you speak against evil, then there's going to be repercussions. I mean, that's, to, that's where we are. But here's what I would say. I don't think that we are in the most evil of evil days. I can't say that there hasn't been another time in the history uh, of the world that has been any more or any less evil. But I would say that the, the, the world has been evil since the fall of mankind. I mean, look at Genesis chapter 6. Here's what it says. Genesis chapter 6, verses 5 and 6. The Lord saw the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth and it grieved him to his heart. And you know what happened after that? The Lord Lord confused the languages of people The flood came. I mean, the Lord was telling people, hey, the days are evil. Watch out. Be careful. Don't fall into that. You must guard yourself against the evilness of this world, folks. You know, we have to be careful what we're piping into our house and all these kinds of things because the days are evil. There's wickedness like, you know, it's always existed, but listen, it's in a different format today. We, ha- we can have access to wickedness at the tip of our fingers. Nobody can know about it. We can do it on our device. We can do it in our homes. We can, we can be secret about it. And, y- you know, listen, it's evil. The enemy is giving us more access to evilness. Here's what I find interesting. In Amos 5, Amos chapter 5, it speaks about the days being evil. But, but it's interesting because he links it to the prosperity of Israel. So Israel became evil. Why? Because they were prospering. Both both the northern and the southern kingdoms were prospering greatly. The Lord was blessing, and what happened? They turned evil. 
they'd started to pursue idols and all these different things. I think that's fascinating because I think that's what's happening to our country. I think there's a link between prosperity and evilness. And we pray for prosperity, don't we? We just, Lord, just bless my socks off. Just let the money rain down, Lord. Come on, you know, we want that in our lives. But do you? Do you really? Because I'm telling you that it can be an incredible curse as much as it can be an incredible blessing. I remember as an unbeliever, I would literally pray and here, I literally pray, Lord, let me win the lottery. You know I would do such great things with it. Oh, would you? As a non-believer, I would do such great things with those things. And, and it, you know, it's so funny I don't pray that anymore because I don't play the lottery. But if I did, Lord, you know I would do. No, I wouldn't. I would probably get entrapped, probably get caught off guard. How many people, you know, you watch those TV shows, people that have won the lottery and what happened to them? Destroyed their life. There's a link. Listen. There's a link between prosperity and evil. And, and, what, and that's why the Lord tells you to be content where he has you. Be content. Doesn't mean you're not trying to use your, uh, you know, your giftings and all of that to, to, do, to make best use of your time like it's speaking of. That's awesome. Do it. Be careful. Be careful you're not chasing another God. Be, be careful you're not chasing another idol because you can't serve God in money. It's not possible. Be, be careful of that. The days were evil in Genesis chapter 6. The days are evil in Amos chapter 5. And the days are evil in the day in which we live. Therefore, we need to walk carefully, to be very careful. The enemy is very crafty at packaging evil. And he knows how to target us. And so, you know, we have to look at every situation and ask ourselves, is this beneficial to me? Will this make me more like Jesus? And then we, this is why we teach the Bible verse by verse, folks. This is why we go book to book to book, chapter to chapter, verse by verse. Why? Because you need to know the Word of God. You don't know the Word of God. You can't have an accurate worldview. If you can't have an accurate worldview, how in the world can you walk carefully? You can't. You need information to be able to make decisions. And so as you're, as you're you know, encountering different situations, you open up the Bible. What does the Bible say about this? Although it may not have a specific instance of exactly what you're going through, the principle is there. It's in the Bible somewhere. You seek it out. If you seek me, you'll find me. If you seek me with all your heart, you will find it. He will show you. You got to seek him. And here's the thing. The word of God guards our, our, our walk. It guards our our feet, it's a, it's a lamp unto our path and a light unto our feet. It is, the word tells us in Psalm 119.11 that we are to store up the word in our heart that we might not sin against him. Get the word of God in you that will keep you on that path and help you to walk carefully. So now that we know the what and the why of verses 15 and 16, what about the how? How are we to walk carefully then? He tells us to make use of the time. Now, your version, New King James Version, KJV, those will say redeeming the time, the idea of buying it back. Here, here, is, here is the concept of what he's saying. Take every opportunity. Take every opportunity. Don't let an opportunity pass you by. You will miss many opportunities if you're not paying attention. You know that? I wonder, I've, I've often thought, I wonder how, you know, when I get to heaven and I'm standing at the Bema Seat Judgment and the Lord says, oh, man, you had these opportunities and you missed them, and, and, the, and then the, you know, I'd say like, oh, man, I'm, the Lord's not going to put us to shame in heaven. We are redeemed and all, but, but for some reason, my brain wants to know, Lord, how'd I do? How'd I do, God? Did I, did I do okay? Did I pass the test, you know? Uh, I don't know. It just, just works that way, but I, I don't know that that's going to happen, but I promise you I've missed some opportunities because I haven't been paying attention. Sometimes I'm just walking through life aimlessly like you are. Sometimes I have no specific thing in mind as I'm walking through life and I'm missing opportunity after opportunity. Why? Because I'm not paying attention. My heart is not sealed. I'm not focused on the Lord. I'm just doing life. Listen, that is the trap of the enemy to get you into that place where you're not focused on the Lord, where you are just focused on whatever it is that you're focused on, but it's not eternal. It has no eternal bearing. Focus on eternity in everything that you do. You go to your job, you focus on eternity. You know, you do everything as under the glory of the Lord. So you, 
you work for the Lord at your job. But don't forget that he placed you there. There's a ministry there. Don't forget about these things. Keep your eyes on the prize. Keep your, eye, keep your mind focused and use your time wisely. Because here's the thing. You can't get it back. Time is the, the most elusive and the most um, elaborate commodity that we have, folks. You cannot get it back. Once it's gone, it's gone. Once the opportunity is passed, it's passed. But here's the awesome thing. The Lord can redeem the time. I, I don't know about you, but I walked outside of the will of the Lord, you know, as an unbeliever for 24 years. And the Lord redeems the time. He takes that time and he says, okay, I'm gonna, you're going to use the rest of your life for me. So redeem the time. Buy it back. Use every opportunity. Don't, how do I do that? Again, you've got to walk carefully. Notice here that here's a little Greek lesson for you, that it is the time. The definite article is the, the noun is time. What he is saying is that that's defining a specific amount of time. You only have a specific amount of time. That's speaking both of your personal life and that is speaking about the age in which we live today. There is a dispensation in which you and I are living. It's called the dispensation of grace or the age of grace. It's the time period in which Jesus Christ was crucified and rose again from the dead until the seven-year tribulation period. That is the period in which you live. It's the age of grace because God is dumping out his grace upon mankind. He is using his church to go into the world and tell anybody and everybody about Jesus. He wants the world to come to Christ, and he's using you and I to do that. You are the, the vessels of honor in this age of grace, but you only have so much time. God has only allotted you specifically so much time, and it varies for all of us. You remember, he has a very specific plan for your life, and we need to be on point. We need to be on task. We need to be about our Father's business, just like Jesus was. Oh, man, he left way too early, we say. Well, God allotted us a period of time for a person. Jesus' life was 33 years. In 33 years, the Son of God came down. He lived a perfect life. He was crucified, and he rose again from the dead. And he redeemed the time. You have that same calling on your life. Redeem the time. Don't let opportunities slip you by. There are many, many people that fall into this trap of thinking they have more time. As if this world isn't coming to an end. And I know people are tired of hearing that, but here's the thing is, the truth never gets old. The truth is the truth. Whether or not, you know, the time frame of the truth is a, a different story, but the truth is the truth. And, and the truth of the Bible tells us that we are living in the last days. This, that was 2,000 years ago when they said that, by the way. We are in the last of the last days, folks. I don't know when that is, but I know that I believe and I, and I think scripturally that everything has happened that needs to happen. And I think the last thing, the, the one thing we're waiting on, there's one thing prophetically that we are waiting on. And that, I believe, is that the fullness of the Gentiles would come in. When the fullness of the Gentiles come in, what does that mean? I believe that the Lord is seeking out a specific number of people that will be saved in this age. And when that happens, it will induce what's called the seven-year tribulation period, which closes out, by the way, the age of grace. No longer will the world be living in an age of grace, but they will, they will be living in an age of wrath. An age of wrath where the Lord will, for seven years, pour out his wrath upon this earth. You don't want to be here. I believe the rapture of the church closes out the, the age of grace and institutes the age of wrath. You don't want to be during that time, man. Don't take your time seriously. Take it serious. Yes, look around prophetically. Get in the Bible Look at the signs. We just streamed a, a, a conference uh, on, you know, the signs of the times and all. If you want a link to that, it's, it's on our Facebook page. I can get it to you. But you need to pay attention to world events, what's happening around the world. Things are happening, and it's exciting because the Lord is coming back soon. But, uh, you know, you also have a call to pay attention to your own personal time. God has a, a specific plan for you. He planted you somewhere Use your time wisely. If you're going to walk carefully, you have to pay attention to, to the time. Not only that, but you also need to seek God's will. Look at verse 17. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. 
there is, there, although there's an urgency for us to walk carefully by paying attention to the time, we must also focus upon accomplishing the will of the Lord in our lives. Again, he has a plan, right? And I'm called to walk according to that plan. Not, not my plan, according to his plan. And in order for me to do that, I need to be in communion and close relationship with the Lord. If I'm ever going to find out what his will is for my life, that's always the question. What is your will? Lord, I don't know what your will is for my life. And you begin to pray about it. How are you ever going to figure that out? The way you figure it out is you get on your knees and you spend time with the Lord in his word, in prayer, in worship. I asked him that question and he revealed his will for my life. Now, I'm not special. He'll do that to you too. But here's the difference. I spent time. I would get up before I would go to work. I would up at 5 a.m. every morning. I would go in my closet. I would take my guitar. I would play some worship songs. I would just begin to sing to the Lord. I would read his word, and I would seek his face on, on his will for my life. And he gave me his will for, he gave me his will for my life. He gave me his plan. He revealed to me in the scriptures, Luke chapter 4, verses 42 through 44, it says this, and when it was day, he departed, and when he went into a desolate place, and the people sought him and came to him and would have kept him from leaving, him, leaving them, but he said to them, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns as well, for I was sent for this purpose. And he was preaching in the synagogues of Judea. And, and the Lord spoke to me as I read that scripture one morning, and he said, Tim, I want you to go preach the gospel somewhere else. And I'm like, what? What do you mean? And here's the thing is, there are going to be people that are going to try and hinder that, and that was truly the case. For two years, we, we, we sat in Sarasota, Florida, trying to, to I was trying to discern what does that mean? Like, what does that mean, Lord? And here's the thing. He'll give you the instructions, and he'll keep giving you the instructions in his timing. That two-year period of me just seeking his face was refinement for me. It was incredible. I grew so much. Sat under my pastor. He gave me... Lots of, uh, you know, kind of a mini Bible college. He came from Calvary Chapel Bible College. So he gave me a mini Bible college education in a two-year period. It was awesome. And then the, Lord, then the Lord said, hey, I want you to move up to Columbia and plant a church. And that's exactly what we did. The thing is, is if you seek his face, he's going to show you his will for your life. He will reveal it to you. He's not trying to keep that a secret, I promise. He's like, let's see if they can figure this out, huh? Yeah, no, that's not the Lord. That's the enemy. He's deceitful. He doesn't want you to know what the next step is. The Lord wants you to know what this next step is, but here's the thing is he wants you to exercise faith. He will require you to exercise faith. You, you're not ever going to step into the will of God without exercising some faith because faith pleases him. It's trusting in him. He will reveal what it is that he wants you to do, but it's going to take faith. And isn't this the question you always ask? Why do I know that was the Lord? Are you Gideon or what, man? I mean, you, you need to lay a fleece out one day and he does what you ask him to do and then, then you're like, well, pff, I don't know if that was the Lord. Let me, do, let me do the opposite. And then he does the exact opposite and you're still wondering, hello, listen, he's speaking. Trust him. You're always going to have to exercise faith, always. You do what he tells you to do. And you also, here's the, here's the other thing. Don't look at the fruit. Don't look at, you know, don't, your expectation may be way different than his expectation. He has a very specific plan for your life, and, you know, you do what you're called to do, and you don't worry about the outcome. You let him worry about that. You know, we, we have to be careful that we, we don't start walking by, you know, okay, well, this seems to be blessing, so I'm going to do this, and then, you know, no, no, you do what he told you to do. I promise you, when you stand before the Lord one day, and you say, Lord, I believe that I walked on the path that you called me to, but I didn't see much fruit. He's going to say, oh, there's plenty of fruit that you didn't see that I was storing up in heaven because of your obedience. You need to be obedient to the Lord. You can't walk by sight. You have to walk by faith. That's what he's calling you to. Now, it's interesting because when it comes to the will of God, there is what I believe two different types of the will of God. There is what, what I believe is called the perfect will of God in the Bible. And I also believe that there is something called the permissive will of God. The permissive will of God. Let's talk about the perfect will of God. 
first. So the perfect will of God is found, I believe it's, it's declared, I'm just going to use one, one reference today, but there's a ton of them in the Bible. You just go to your concordance, look up will of God, and you'll see that various different scriptures say this is the will of God. Is the will. This is absolutely it. We find the perfect will of God in the written word of God. And here's one of the scriptures, if, 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 3. For this, is the will of the God, for this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in the passions of lust like the Gentiles who do not know you, that no one transgress and wrong his brother in this matter, because the Lord is an avenger. Who knew that? I didn't know he was part of Marvel. But in all of these things, as we told you beforehand and solemnly warned you. So this is the will of the Lord, your sanctification. What is the will of the Lord? That you be sanctified. I don't know what God's will is for my life. I don't know if he wants me to marry an unbeliever. What does the Bible say? That's his will. Do what, is, do what the word of God said. That is the perfect will of God. Now, what about the permissive will of God? The permissive will of God is God's sovereign allowance for you and I to walk in our own will. God's sovereign allowance for you and I to walk in our own will. In other words, he's not going to control every step you take. If you want to go the wrong way, he'll let you. He's in control, but he will let you go the wrong way. He will let you make mistakes. Oftentimes, uh, you know, the Lord uses those mistakes incredibly in our lives. Does he not? He does. It's incredible. But he will let you go your own way if you want to. But I can tell you from personal experience, and you could tell me from personal experience, that that never works out very well. That, that there's always so much pain and anguish involved in walking in the permissive will of God. Ask Achan from Joshua chapter 7. When the Lord said, don't take any of the spoil from the, 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 the town that they, they invaded, and Achan didn't listen, and he did it, and the Lord said, go for it. You, have, you permissively can do whatever you want. He did. What ended up happening? It cost him his life. What? Yeah, it cost, it cost him and his family their lives. It, the guy was stoned to death. Listen, the, the permissive will of God is not where you want to walk. You do not want to be on that permissive will. Ask David. Remember he stayed home from war? In his, in his uh, complacency, he got a little messy, got sloppy wasn't walking carefully. Next thing you know, he's sleeping with somebody else's wife. Then he tries to cover that up. She gets pregnant, he and then he kills her husband. Listen, and then his child dies as a result of that. How much pain and anguish is, is involved in walking in the permissive will of the Lord? Ask Samson. Ask King Saul, who lost his kingship as a result of this. Ask Judas. Listen, the permissive will of God is not the place that you and I want to walk. We want to walk in his perfect will. How do we do that? Through, just look at scripture. Ask yourself, does my life measure up to what the word of God says? Am I walking in, in that manner? If you, if you walk in the permissive will of God, you're going to make a terrible mess of your life. A terrible mess of your life. God still loves you. He's still reaching you. He's trying to minister to you, but he will let you fall to the, to the bottom of the barrel. He will let you, in fact, he'll let you wallow in that place of despair if you want to. That's not his perfect will for you. That's not what he wants for you. He wants to give you, as Jesus said, life and that more abundantly. He wants to bless your socks off. He wants you to see that in every circumstance there can be joy, that you can trust him, that you know what, that there is an incredible blessing and be obedient to the Lord. But he will allow you to do whatever it is you want to do. If we want to, walking carefully means seeking out his will and not your own. Thirdly, walking carefully means being empowered by the right influence. Look at verse 18. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Notice the negative command. Do not get drunk with wine. Why? What does it say? Because it's debauchery. Because it's debauchery. It, debauchery is behavior which shows lack of concern or thought for the consequences of action. Literally senseless deeds, reckless deeds. Now, don't raise your hand or anything, but any of you who have ever been drunk or know what that state is like, know that you do, you do and say 
incredibly stupid things, right? You do, you do and say incredibly stupid things. Why? Because command central of your body and your mouth, your brain, has been hijacked by some toxic command that begins to manipulate your words and your actions. It's not you doing it. It's the alcohol in you doing it. It is manipulating your brain. It's allowing you to allow all kinds of debaucherous things to come out of you. You have no self-control. You have lost control when you're drunk. You've lost the ability to say what you will do and what you will not do, what you will say and what you will not say. There are people in this world that have lost that filter when they were born. I don't know. <laughs> they just don't have a filter. They just totally, you know, it's like they're drunk all the time. They say things they should never say to people. They do things they should never do. But that's an anom anomaly. Some of us have self-control and we act like we don't. But here's the thing is do not be drunk. Do not allow your brain to be taken hostage. Because if you do, all kinds of wickedness will come because your flesh in control is not a good situation. It's not a good situation. 15th uh, century England Bible commentary, John Trapp says that drinking, getting drunk leads to three outs. That is, ale out of the pot, money out of the purse, and wit out of the brain. It is true. It is true. How many of you have ever ever in your life heard somebody say, man, getting drunk was the best decision I ever made in my life. I mean, never, right? I mean, I make the best decisions when I'm drunk. I just need to stay that way, and I, my life is going to turn out great. No, it will not. Let me give you an example. I have a friend that I used to party with when I was in high school and in college a little bit, and we're 46 years old. He's never stopped. And as of today, he doesn't have a driver's license. Why? Because he keeps getting drunk. And then he makes bad decisions. And he gets behind the wheel. And he gets pulled over. And he gets another DUI. And so he doesn't have a driver's license right now. And, and he probably will never have a driver's license. Do you know how incredibly hard your life becomes when you lose these things, th these things like driving, for, when you take these things for granted, like driving, and you lose the ability to drive, man, it makes your heart, your life incredibly difficult. Yet he still didn't learn doing the same things. He needs to be redeemed. He needs to be, you know, paid by the blood of Christ. He's not walking with the Lord, of course. But you would think that looking at the, the, the fruit of his life and saying, man, look where drinking's got me, man. I can't drive. You know, my, my life is really difficult, but boy, do I have fun. How fun is that? It's not very fun at all. I don't think anybody who's ever got drunk and got in a car and killed somebody woke up the next day and said, boy, I'm really glad I did that. I'm really thankful that I did that. That's a Class B felony, by the way. You'll spend 8 to 30 years in jail for doing something like that, which doesn't seem like enough to me. You see how when you give your your brain over to something else, the decisions it can cost you, what the things that it can cost you are incredible. If you've ever taken a driving school in the great city of Columbia, which your pastor has a couple times, there is a, there is a great little video at the end of the class, and it's on drinking and driving. And it is, it is so impactful it is so incredible to watch, you know, this guy speak about all these, you know, instances. He was a highway patrolman for like 25 years or something. And uh, it, it is just, it's just incredibly impactful to see the results of that. And as he said, you know, he said in that video, you know, everybody thinks they're having fun in the moment. And then somebody dies. It's not fun. Listen, be careful about alcohol. Now, notice it says don't get drunk. It doesn't say don't drink. It says don't get drunk. Now, Christians love to just put the extra step into that and say, well, you're, you're drinking alcohol. You should never drink alcohol. That's not what it's saying. What it's saying is don't get drunk. That's the command. Do not get drunk. 
Do not allow your brain to be manipulated by something else. It's fine. You can have a drink. You can, you know, have a glass of wine, whatever it is you want to do. Um, but if you can't control that, you ought to. And let me say never, and I mean never, take a sip of alcohol if you cannot control yourself. If you know somebody that you're with cannot control themselves, you ought to never take a sip of alcohol in front of them and tempt them. That's biblical. It does not say that you cannot have a drink, but it does say do not be drunk. Do not be drunk. Now, here is the contrast of what Paul is saying here. The negative command, do not get drunk with wine. Here's the positive command. Do be filled with the Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit. If you're going to walk carefully, then you must be empowered by the right influence, which is the Holy Spirit. You know, he'll never lead you astray. He will help your brain make the right decisions, yes, but he will never lead you astray. In fact, Jesus said in John 16, 13, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. Now, I can use that influence all day long, amen? I can use that in my life. The greatest influence that we can have in this life is the influence of the Holy Spirit upon our lives. There's nothing like that in all the world, man. When the Holy Spirit comes on you and he strengthens you and he gives you boldness and he helps you to be content. And so Paul says, live like that. Be filled. The, the, the command is be being filled. It's a, it's a continual thing. It's a present tense adjective saying be being filled. Keep coming to the Lord. You got to be filled up. I like I like what uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones says. He said, I need to be filled with the Spirit every moment of each day because I leak. And that is the truth. Well, hold on a second. I thought that I had everything I need for life and godliness, and I thought that I, was, uh, that I had the Holy Spirit inside me. You do. You do. You, you were sealed with the Spirit upon the day of redemption. When you confess Christ as your Lord and Savior, you were sealed with the Spirit. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 13 through 14. He's already sealed you, but... There is this constant need of the Holy Spirit being filled, that you're being filled with the Spirit of God, the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. Some of you call that the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Some of you don't like that word. But what we can call it is the filling of the Spirit. It's scriptural. Be being filled. Ask the Lord. And again, here's the awesome thing about that phrase. It's passive. It's passive. You can't do anything to get that. It's not something you work towards. How do I get it then? Jesus told us, Ephesians, or Luke chapter 11, verse 13. If then you who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? You just ask. You ask of the Lord, Lord, fill me with your spirit. You see, God wants you to continually pursue him. And as you pursue him and ask him for the filling of the Holy Spirit and he fills you and you live that life that you know, empowered by the Spirit of God, seeing the fruit in your life, he wants you to continually do that. If he only gave you one dose of the Holy Spirit and said, now you're be on your way, you'd be stuck in the state you're in. But he said, no, keep coming to me. Why? Because in the seeking, there is power. There is, there is a transformation that happens as we continually come to the Lord and we say, fill me up, Lord. Fill me up, Lord. Fill me up, Lord. We're, we're centering ourselves continually on the Lord, on his will whatever he wants to do in our life. So that's why I believe that he wants us to do that because it presses us into the Lord more. It helps us to be more reliant on him and not on ourselves. There is also this idea in the real sense that we must choose to drink of the Spirit. Yes, it's passive in the sense that there's nothing we can do to really get more. It's like, okay, you achieve this level of spirituality. Oh, you get a one-up, you know. Here you go. Your Holy Spirit meter goes bloop. No, it's not the way it works. But there is a real sense in which you are called to drink of the Spirit. Paul says this to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 12, 13. For in one Spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews and Greeks, slaves and free. And all were made to drink of one Spirit. You drink of the Spirit of the Lord. Listen, rather than be drunk on wine, be influenced by the Holy Spirit. That is the command. So he's telling you, you're going to be influenced by something in this life. Is it going to be the, the negative or is it going to be the positive? Are you going to allow the Lord to influence you? Or are you going to let, let, you know, some substance, alcohol, drugs, whatever it is, some, some other pursuit 
control your life or are you going to let the Holy Spirit do it? Walk in the Spirit. Finally, we come to verse 19 where walking carefully means submitting to one another out of the reverence for Christ. Look at addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart and giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Listen, when God's people are filled with God the Holy Spirit, we naturally, we naturally become more concerned about one another. Why? Because that's who God is. He's concerned about you more than he's concerned about himself. You know that? Jesus was more concerned about you than he was about himself. It was for the joy that was set before him that he endured the cross, that he despised the same. He sits at the right hand of the Father. Why? Because he loves you, and you were more important to him than his own life. And when we allow the Spirit of God in our life to take control, we become more concerned about what's going on with other people, about, well, not in a bad way, but you, you know what I'm saying? We care about them. We have more compassion. We, we desire to see them come, uh, you know, into that same place of following the Lord as hard as you are, right? You're concerned about other people. It's something the Spirit of God does in our lives, now, th- this flows out of something that I think is important for us to understand. It flows out of a submission. A submission, it, it literally means, it's like a military term that means to come under, the, under rank, to fall in rank, the idea of it. So, so, in other words, you know, just like Paul said, I was crucified with Christ, it's no longer I who live, that's falling in rank. Saying, Lord, you're in control of my life. Holy Spirit, you're in control of my life. You're falling in rank, right? When you do that, he automatically makes you a pursuer of other people. And, and you, you naturally be able to minister to them. And, and it's interesting. I'm not going to really get into this this week because this flows into everything that we're going to talk about in the next few weeks, the idea of submitting. And here's what I want you to hear about it, and I'll go into it in more detail next week. But here's the thing. Husbands and wives, children and parents, you know, bond slaves and masters, the submission you're called to has nothing to do with the other person. Do you know that? What this verse says is that it has everything to do with your reverence to Christ. It's about you revering Jesus. It's about you obeying Jesus. It's about a husband submitting to Christ as, as you know, loving his wife like Christ loved the church. The idea of that is more reverence for Christ means you're going to be able to do that. Well, my husband's not somebody that I feel like I can submit to. Then you're not reverent to Christ. Listen, you're not leading as a husband. You're not reverent to Christ. That is the issue. You want to get to the root of the issue? It's not because your husband's not a leader. It's because he's not reverent to Christ. That's the issue. And as we allow the Holy Spirit to come over us and allow, you know, him to control us in that, in that sense, influence our, our steps, what happens is we start being concerned about other people and less concerned about ourselves. It's a great litmus test to see who's in control of your life. Who's, being, who's controlling me? Well, let me just see what I spend my time doing. Is it all about self-gratification? Is it all about, you know, building up myself, or is it about building up other people? Just, just take that test, and you'll see who's controlling your life. Submit to the Spirit, and it says here that we will begin to address one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord in your heart. Some of you, that's the only way that you should make melodies because, you know, but we're not going to go there. But listen, here's the thing is, what he's saying is, when you submit to the Spirit of God, allowing the Spirit of God, when you're filled with the Spirit of God, you become a true worshiper. Jesus told the woman at the well that true worshipers will worship in what? Spirit and in truth. So you become a true worshiper of God, and you're, 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 what, what naturally begins to flow out of you is worship. So you encounter a brother or sister that's struggling, and you're saying, man, and you just begin to minister to them with your worship of God. You just start to worship over them, and that worship flows onto them, and what happens? They begin to worship. Why? Because worship is contagious. It's so encouraging to be with somebody who is a true worshiper. Because true worshipers, they're less concerned about giving you advice and they're just allowing their worship to flow over you and cover you. You know, oftentimes we already know what we're supposed to do in the Bible. We just need somebody to to lead us into that place of worship so that we can get reverent with the Lord, so that we can submit to Him, so that we can allow the Holy Spirit to take control so we can be where we need to be. 
I can get all the advice I need in the world, folks, and I can get all kinds of principles, but listen, if I don't ever apply them and I don't submit to the Holy Spirit, those things will never do anything for me. I have to walk in these things. Yeah, so also, not only will we become true worshipers when we are filled with the Spirit of God, but listen, we will also, it will produce this attitude of gratitude, being thankful. You're just a thankful person. You ever been around a thankful person? So thankful to the Lord. They just walk around giving thanks to God in everything, by the way, even the hard stuff. They thank you, Lord, because I know you're doing something in my life. I know you're in control. I know you're, I know you're at work, so I'm going to trust you. And I'm going to just, just rejoice in all that you're doing, Lord. That also is infectious because it gets us centered on the word. The Bible tells us be thankful. You have so much to be thankful for. I mean, think about it. You're not, no longer going to hell if you're in Christ. There, there's no greater gift in all the world. I don't care what the world offered you. You can have all the money in the world. You can have all the, you know, be able to do all the extravagant things you wanted. And it couldn't even scratch the surface of what you have in salvation. You just think like, Lord, I am so blessed. Man, it's, it's amazing how we can become Eeyores as Christians because obviously we're not focusing on the right thing. We're, not fo- we're focusing on the horizontal rather than the vertical. Man, get your eyes on Jesus. Be thankful. Uh, when you allow the Spirit of God to, to, to take, take um, control of your life, He will produce a thankfulness in you, and your mouth will speak it out. You'll just become thankful. It is all a result of submission, though. It's all a result of submission. Submit to one another. You know, submit to one another. Submit to your brother. Submit to your sister. That's, that's a command. It's something that you should do. I don't need my brothers and sisters. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible says you do need your brothers and sisters, so do it. Submit to them. And watch and see what the Lord doesn't do. So here's the bottom line for the text that we, we've gone over this morning. You and I are living in evil times, yeah? We're living in evil times. If we don't pay attention to the time, we will end up falling. We will end up off track. That's a fact. Listen, you can't go through life spiritually careless and expect to redeem the time, to obey the will of God, to be empowered by the Spirit, and to walk in reverence to Christ by submitting to one another. These things don't happen by accident, folks. This is purposeful. This is intentional. This is something that you're on a pursuit of. No one has ever said, wow, I put no effort into my walk with God, and look how much I look like Jesus. No one has ever said that, and no one will ever say that. So here's my challenge for you today. Here's what I want you to do. Firstly, start this morning by acknowledging that you only have a a limited amount of time. And understand the the day and the age in which we live. Prophetically, we only have so much time. Physically, you only have so much time. So evaluate your time and consider, what am I doing with my time, Lord? Do I need to change some things around to be about your business? That's number one. Number two, ask yourself, am I walking in the will of God or am I walking in my own will? Am I doing what I want to do or am I doing what the Lord wants me to do? That's number two. Number three, be being filled. Ask the Lord today. Fill me with your spirit, God. Just give me an overflowing of your spirit today and watch and see what he doesn't do. You need that in order to do the first two. Number four, consider your reverence for Christ. Ask yourself, you know, how am I demonstrating my reverence for Christ? That word reverence, fear, if you want, it's a it's literal word, fear. How am I demonstrating that in my life? Am I fearing the Lord? It's biblical to fear the Lord. In fact, the Bible says in Proverbs that the beginning of fear is the beginning, the fear of God is the beginning of what? Wisdom. It's the beginning of knowledge. It talks about the fear of God a lot in the Bible. How is your reverence for the Lord? Are you obeying him or are you doing whatever you want? These four things, just ask yourself these things today. Evaluate your walk with the Lord. And then here's the awesome thing. If you find yourself short in any of these areas, all you got to do is go to the Lord and ask him. Repent. Ask him to forgive you. Ask him to change your heart. Ask him to change the trajectory of your life. And he will. Because he loves you. Amen? 
Father, we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you for just this incredible passage, Lord. We thank you for just all, all that you've shown us this morning in these four different things that we are called to in this incredible walk that we have with you, Lord. What a joy it is, Father, to be able to sit here today with our brothers and sisters and to, to consider our own lives, what, what it is that you're doing in our walk, Lord. We ask you, even right now, Father, help us consider the time. Help us to consider whether or not we are spending our time wisely, Lord, and then help us to change, Lord. We ask you, Father, to just give us opportunities to share our faith with others around us, Father, and for those in our, in our families and stuff, that we would be examples of what it means to redeem the time. Lord, we, just, we ask you to continually watch over us and just, just give us um, the ability to seek your will and to understand your will. There are some here even right now, Lord, I know that need to hear from you. And we ask you in Jesus' name, Lord, to give them a word this morning, God, to help them have that clarity of what your will is in, for, for their lives, God. We ask you, God, to not allow us to have any other influence in our lives except your Holy Spirit. We submit to you now. We ask you to fill us overflowing, God. We need your spirit. You know how desperate we need to be for your spirit, and we are desperate this morning. We ask you to fill us overflowing, Lord. And finally, God, just help us to be more reverent to you that we might be better uh, vessels for you and to each other, Lord. And so we ask you to come by your spirit now and just minister to each and every one of us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. You can hear more of Pastor Tim's studies through the Word of God on our website, www.calvaryofcolumbia.org. Thanks again for listening, and we hope you'll join us again as we continue to study God's Word.